Well, good morning. I think I said this last year at our um, high school, our church's high school graduation, but she's a she's always a tough one to follow. So energetic and and well spoken. Um, at any rate, if you guys would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. I just thought I was going to say Acts, didn't you? So we're going to be in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 this morning. A couple of things to know about Deuteronomy before we get into it. It was uh, a series of uh, farewell addresses uh, to the children of Israel by Moses before he turns the reins over to Joshua, his um, his protege, and and so these are his final instructions as he's recalling all that God has done uh, for and on behalf of them as a nation, as a people group, uh, recalling what it is that he's done and what he's commanded them to do. And so that's what Deuteronomy is all about. It's Moses's final address, or a series rather, of addresses that he makes to the nation of Israel. Again, that's before turning things over to Joshua, who's going to then spearhead um, Operation Promised Land and taking the children of Israel into the land they were promised. And so there's a lot of, um, there's there's a big spiritual picture there too. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus in the Greek, um, who was then able to do what Moses, who representing the law, could not do, leading them into the promise. Um, So we're going to glean from that. There's a lot for us to take away, a lot to draw out as we we read into these parallels and see how uh, they can apply to our life. And so in this case, in this story, we are going to be identifying with the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, the stiff-necked people, so that's important to realize if you ever find yourself um, identifying with the, the main protagonist or the, the hero in the story, that's, that's a dangerous place to be because that's going to be Christ when you're reading the word. In this story, we are the Israelites. So just as a backdrop, we're going to pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Title to this morning's message, um, as we kind of hone in on this this theme, this concept of remembering, that's what this weekend is all about, is to remember, to commemorate, and to honor uh, those who've gone before us, those who've sacrificed so much. The same is true uh, with us this morning. We want to be remembering, and so the title um, for this morning's message, if you guys are note takers, it's Overcoming Providential Amnesia. Again, that's Overcoming Providential Amnesia, a call to remember. And so in verse 1, here we go. It says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years into the wilderness 
to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And in verse 3, it says, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And so we pray, God, that you'd open up our eyes this morning, that you'd softened our hearts through the worship. We thank you for that, the truth that was in those songs. And now as we get into your word, I pray that um, you would make us apt uh, to hear God, what it is that you have for us this morning, personally, on an individual level. Uh, we're longing, we're desperate to hear from you, so guide us, uh, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit in all truth. And I pray that you would um, just enlighten uh, this text. This is a spiritual book, and we need your Spirit to have understanding in it. We trust you for that, and we pray these things in your name. So verse 1 says, Every commandment, this is Moses speaking here, which I command you, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And so a couple of things there are to observe, and it's for the sake of possessing. And so it's with mission, it's with purpose, they're to observe for the purpose of possessing, and they're going to be possessing the land which the Lord swore to their fathers. Their fathers referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the four fathers, uh, ultimately who jump-started the nation of Israel. This is a couple of hundred years later. And so the promise was made to the fathers. It was made to Abraham directly, and then again uh, to his sons and to their children and to their children and so they are partakers, they're beneficiaries of a promise that was made long before they even came onto the scene. Something important to remember uh, as well in this text is that this is a new batch of Israelites. Um, their parents died in the desert for their sin of disbelief. They did not believe God at his word. They were sentenced to wander for 40 years until they died off. And so this is a brand new group they're going to take to in, in um, being led by God into the promised land. So Moses, again, he's recalling these things for them just to make sure that there is no misunderstanding. So the land was sworn to their fathers. And again, um, this is going to be very uh, symbolic for us. And that for them, it was a physical land. It, it was a very uh, legitimate place. And for us, on the spiritual side of things, again, remember, we're drawing out parallels from um, this chapter. It's a spiritual inheritance. And so for them, what would have been physical, it was the land of Canaan, land flowing with milk and honey. For us, it's that spiritual inheritance, crossing over the Jordan into the land of promise, into salvation, because you remember they still had giants to face when they crossed over. So that's not, that's not the exit, that's not heaven, that's merely 
and in all of its uh, in all of its glory, it's it's salvation. That's what that um, speaks of. It's it's that character Joshua leading us into the promises of God, the fullness of life through faith in Christ. And so, like them, we are grafted in now to this spiritual inheritance through the blood, God's risen Son. And we know that to be Jesus. If you turn your Bibles just really quickly to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. This is Ephesians 2, verse 20, uh, 12 through 13. Check it out. It says this, that you at that time were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of, Israel's and, of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And in 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of his son, and so we have been grafted in to the promises of God through none other than God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, specifically through his blood, is what it says there in Ephesians chapter 2. And so we're grafted, and we now become like the children of Israel were beneficiaries to a promise, to a work that we had absolutely no part in. And of course, we know that to be the finished work of Christ done upon Calvary. So there's a parallel there. And in verse 2, we go on to read, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you. And so there's a call again to remember. It's a call to remember. That's why he's giving this address. He wants to bring things back to their memory, maybe it's new, um, but most of it is going to be reviewed for them. And so it's a call to remember, we noticed that the Lord, God led them all the way these 40 years. He leads us. They were led. They were not left by God. All throughout their wilderness wanderings, all throughout the 40 years and the wilderness wanderings, the 40 years, that's um, symbolic of not symbolic, it was the consequence of their decision uh, to rebel against God and to disobey uh, and to doubt him. And so throughout the scriptures, um, the number 40, symbolic of, of judgment, but that's what that is speaking of there. In the wilderness wanderings, both that and the 40 years, is the judgment of God for their sin to not believe what he had clearly spoken to them. It was to humble them and to test them, to know what was in their heart. And so an important question I think we should ask here is, who is this knowledge for? It says that all of this, the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, um, was to bring about humility. It was to test and to bring knowledge. And so who's doing the knowing? Here's the question. Who is this knowledge for, and it certainly is not God. God knows all things. He knows our hearts. He's omniscient. 
There's no piece of new information out there that he does not know. And so God is not doing the knowing. And so the question then is, if God knows all things, then why the testing? Why the wilderness wanderings to produce um, that realization that that we need him? And the answer is, is very simple, and I think it's profound in that it was for us to come to terms with our need. And so the wandering, the, the desert, um, the wilderness, for them it was it was in a very real sense for them to be brought to the awareness of their need for God, and so too with us to be brought into the awareness of how much we need him. We had to come to terms with that. Proverbs 21, verse 2 says, All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, but God is the one who knows their ways. He's the one who who, who knows the heart. And then in Hebrews 4.12, it's a verse that you guys would be familiar with. It says that the word of God, it's living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the division between the soul and the spirit, both joint and marrow. And it's getting in there. It's dividing the thoughts and even the intentions of the heart, not simply what the heart is and what it does, but what it intends to do. And so it's a powerful weapon. Indeed, that's the word of the Lord. And so he knew the knowledge was not for him, but it was for us to to come to terms with our need, you see. And so that word know there in verse 2, as it relates to God, it could even be read as prove. And so God was proving what was in their hearts. He was proving what was in our hearts through testing but it was not uh, proving so that we would um, t- to, to show or to prove our ableness, but rather to reveal and to expose our, in- our inability to perform. You see, it wasn't to prove that we could. It was to expose the very fact of the matter, and that is that we cannot, um, that we are hopeless, and, and that we are uh, severely outmatched. And so all of this to bring us to the realization that we need him. And so therefore the testing, again, this was to produce within us the realization of our great need and thereby humility. And so we're humbled by our test results. God tested them. He has tested us. He, he will test us um, because that's what brings um, that's what brings this out from us. It, it makes us aware of of just exactly how much we need him, and so we're humbled by our test results, humbled to find that we were in such great need. You guys, can turn if you'd like to the book of Romans, chapter three, verse twenty. these sticky notes in my Bible, but it doesn't make it any easier to find, I think. So this is Romans 3, 
Verse 20, listen to what it says here. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. So it wasn't by the law that we were justified. It wasn't by the law that we were brought back into fellowship with God. It says for the law, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so that's what it was for. That's why it was given to us. It's a mirror. It doesn't fix our problem. It only exposes uh, and, and amplifies our need. See, there's nothing the law can do to change us. It's just to, to bring us to that reality that we need changing, see. Rather, it was to make us aware of our need. That was Romans 3.20, and so that confirms this very thing. So at the end of verse 2, we are brought to the realization, the truth of our spiritual standing with God. That's where verse 2 leaves us, brings us to the truth of our spiritual standing with God, how we now relate to him. And in 3 it says, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And so, this is further humiliation. It doesn't stop. He's humbling us more. Why? Because he's driving the point. He's driving the point, the truth, the reality that we need him. And so note how he does it this time. He goes on to say that he fed, that he allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And so we read in this, the sovereignty of God. He is the one who is both allowing us to hunger, and he is also the one who's supplying for our every need. God is sovereign both in our hunger and in our satisfaction. He is the one who is allowing this. Why? Because what he does not directly cause, he allows. He's sovereign, all-powerful, and he's in control of it's all, and so it says that he fed us with the manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And so this is something he would say is outside of you. This was something um, outside of you and your fathers. It didn't come from your family tree, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to pass it on. This bread that you were fed with, it met your physical need. It was not of you. It was not of your father's. And so to his provision, to us, it's something outside of us and, and our need could only be met by something um, outside of us, something supernatural, something that only our Heavenly Father could provide for us. So we are brought into the realization, to the truth of our physical standing before God. In verse 2, he hammered our spiritual standing, and now he's saying, you can't even provide bread for yourself in the wilderness. That was me. That was outside of you. That was outside of your fathers. Again, drilling this and, and really um, hammering this again to drive us to the reality that we need him and that it was not us. It was him. 
So we're brought to the truth about our standing, uh, our physical standing with God. And it says, continuing in three, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so all of this, up until this point, everything that we've read, it's to remind us, and in getting to this last point here, in verse 3, it's all to make us to realize that we need him again, and and why we had to be made uh, known or aware of our need. And the fact of the matter is that because we were spiritually famished and we didn't even know it, we were spiritually starving for the word of God and we didn't even know it. That's why the testings, that's why the humbling to bring us to that awareness that is outside of ourselves. Paul would say in Romans chapter 7, he said, I would not know about my sin had it not been for the law, had it not been for this incredibly, um, this, this heavy burden that, that I can't do anything about. I would have no concept of sin. And so the sin, again, that mirror, um, is what made us aware of our sin. Why? Because we were spiritually famished, we were dying, and we didn't even know it. We had no idea. That's why the law, that's why the testing, see. You know, the God created us both as physical and spiritual beings. You can read about that in the first few chapters in Genesis. And so we were created with a spirit, a soul, and a body. And after the fall, that order was perverted, and now we are primarily, um, it's, it's the flesh, it's the soul, and it's the spirit, and so now, through the spirit, we are um, at war. We are putting to death the deeds of the flesh because of the fall, because now we are sinners by nature and by choice, and so we're both physical and spiritual beings. We know that when our bodies die, when these tents shut down, our spirits will go on living. Then it becomes a matter uh, of where becomes the question of where they go. And so we are physical and spiritual beings, and we are in need of spiritual food in the same way that we are in need of physical food. You need food or you'll die. You need spiritual food or you will perish spiritually forever. And that's lasting. It's far more serious than any physical death, see? So we need spiritual food. Our spirits need to be fed. So our physical needs, could say, are those which drive us to our spiritual one. All of these, um, these needs that we have physically, it's, it's all in a way to drive us to the need we have spiritually. And as believers, we know that need can only be met in the person of Jesus Christ. He was the bread of life sent by God from heaven to be broken for us. He's the bread of life. And so that spiritual need again can only be met 
in him. So may we be those who remember what he made us know and how again did he make us to know that it was through the testings it was through the trials right it's what produced in us the knowledge that we needed something supernatural to to save us and to help us so we need to be those who remember remember what god made us to know and it says in Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrated and demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and so how did he make us to know ultimately um, through the cross it was through how he demonstrated his love for us and so the cross will forever be that symbol uh, to us of his love and how he demonstrated how and to what, um, to what ends he went to make us to know. See, that's to remind us just to what extent he would go to save us. It's the cross that reminds us that it was God who died for us when we needed it so badly. And so it's, it's the love that he demonstrated. It's while we were yet sinners, before we got our act cleaned up, he came. And he died for us, right? And so God's not calling us to do anything radical here. And he seldom does, even for us to give our lives, is what Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's your reasonable service, right? It's the least you can do. It's your reasonable act of worship. And so even in the giving of our lives, Paul would say, that's, that's really nothing radical. Um, that's, that's reasonable. That's your reasonable act of service. Again, on this weekend, we honor those who gave their lives for our freedom, and we cannot do that without first remembering the one who gave his life for our eternal freedom. And we honor them, and we're thankful for the freedoms that we have here in America, and we're thankful even more that we're free in the spiritual sense. We're saved from the penalty of sin. Now we have power to be saved from its, its power. And, and one day we know that we'll be saved from its presence. It was Christ. He died for all to save us. So he's not asking us to do something radical. He's not asking us to do something extreme, he's, he's simply asking us to remember. And why? It's because that in remembering, we find that it was him all along. See, that's the key, is simply to remember what God has done. Because in remembering, we will be led to find that it was him. And so where do we see Christ in this passage? Where do we see him? Here in our text, because we should be looking for him. We know Christ was tested. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew 4, verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus was led, this is after his baptism, remember, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In verse 2, it says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And so this is the hunger that occurs uh, after you've been fasting for a significant amount of time. Um, I know that in, in the beginning stages of fasting, you'll be hungry. And then eventually, I've heard, uh, I haven't gotten there myself, the hunger goes away, right? But then when it comes back, that's when your body is telling you, we're about to die. We're going under. If I don't get some food now, it's game over. And so he hungers after the 40 days and 40 nights. Um, this, this was physically the lowest of the low. The body is going to be super weak, seemingly susceptible to temptation, but we see how he combats that. In verse 3, it says, Now when the tempter, that is Satan, the devil, our adversary, came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, and in the Greek, that word if is since. He wasn't questioning whether Jesus was the Son of God. He was stating the fact of the matter, and that is that he was that he is the Son of God, see? So he said there, since, as it should be read, you are the Son of God, you are the Christ, command these stones to become bread. So he's challenging him. And in verse 4 he says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That proceeds from the mouth of God. He's citing Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. So Jesus combats the, uh, the trial, the, the testing, this temptation with the word of God. It's, it's again that sword. It's living, inactive. It's a powerful weapon. And it's how Jesus, who is the word, John 1, 1, would tell us and, and goes on to tell us is and was the word. He was the word at the beginning with God. And he is God. Jesus states the truth. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he says again, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And again, why is that? Because we are more than just what we see here in our bodies. We are spiritual. We have spirits, and they are going to go on living forever. So bread is not going to cut it. Meat's not going to cut it. Your favorite food, it's, it's not going to matter because eventually these tents, they shut down. And so we live not merely by bread, that's important, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These are his words. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 would tell us that in latter times, God spoke to us, to the people through prophets, and that now he's chosen to reveal himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. That is his son. Again, Jesus Christ, the word. In, in certain um, instances, they're, they're almost synonymous. And so God has chosen to, sp to, to speak through us uh, through his word. This right here, this book, is his primary means of communication to us. And that's important to remember. 
And so Jesus combats the enemy with the word of God. And so Jesus was tested. And you can go on to read how he was tested. It's in Matthew 4 and recorded in a couple of other places. Um, And so the question is why you can turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And this is getting into the why of things. Why the testing of Christ? Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And so the most important part of that verse is obviously at the close, it's that he was without sin. It's that he underwent everything that we've experienced, plus more, plus way more than we could ever experience combined, and was found to be without sin. That's amazing. So not only has he remained perfect, but he can now sympathize with us because he has endured the testing. And so we, we have a sympathetic high priest. Not only was Christ tested, but he was also humiliated. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 5. So it says this in uh, in Ephesians. Philippians 2. Verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, who, being God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And so Jesus, who is God, came to earth as one of us, as man, Jesus Christ, all God, all man, that hypostatic union, it's a mystery to us, but we believe the the Bible when it says that. It said he made himself of no reputation, and that's powerful because I think of how often so much of what we do is to make ourselves of reputation, right? We're continually pushing ourselves forward. We're we're just naturally selfish like that. And so most of what we do is is to make ourselves reputable, right? It's to, to make ourselves of reputation. But here we are given as an example, God himself, Jesus Christ made himself 
of no reputation, the only one who could truly say, hey, I'm worth checking out, I'm worth looking into, look at me, um, which he did say. It said he made himself of no reputation, and how he did that is becoming a bondservant. That's our example. We serve because he served first. It said he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. That's an example we can follow too. Not so much the cross, but obedience leading to death. The death of who? The death of ourself. The death, death of the old man. It's that we would be those who pick up our cross and follow him. So Christ was humiliated if you turn your Bibles again to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. This is 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. This is the why of his, of his humiliation, you could say. And so in, in verse 21, again, this is 1 Peter chapter 2. And it reads, for to this you were called. That is suffering because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. So those are now our marching orders to follow in the example he set for us. He was tested and yet found to be without sin. He was humiliated, suffered, so that we might follow in his example, our sympathetic high priest. So you remember the story. It's John chapter 6. Jesus is vacationing with his disciples, and um, when he feeds the 5,000 and winning, you know, obtaining their uh, their favor, so much so that they um, they want to make him their king. Right? He fed them, and they were all for it. And so Jesus, the very next day, he tested their genuineness by revealing himself, by presenting himself um, to be the bread of life. This is John, again, chapter 6. And how did they respond they responded, it said later in that chapter, that many upon hearing this turned away and followed him no more. So they turned away from him. The saying was hard. They wanted bread. They wanted food and physical sustenance, but they had no desire for the bread of life. They wanted a kingdom to be ushered in to overthrow the Roman Empire, but they did not want the kingdom of God. They had no spiritual appetite, you see. And so we need to pray that God would increase in us a desire, an appetite for spiritual things. We need God to give us an increased uh, spiritual appetite. The bread of his word for fellowship with him as the bread. Again, keeping that picture, keeping that parallel. 
love in Psalm uh, 34, verse 8, it says, Oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And then it says, Blessed is everyone who puts their trust in him. It's an open invitation. He says, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't simply hear about it, but come and try it for yourself. Why? Because after doing so, you will be brought to the realization that you need this stuff. You need the bread that only he can provide, that bread of life. Taste and see. And so for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we can agree with the psalmist. We can agree with uh, David in that psalm and say, yeah, like I've tasted and I've seen, I've tasted the goodness of God, his provision to me, his faithfulness. And he is good. And I am blessed because I've put my trust in him. It's a message that we need to share with those around us. That they would come, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. That was Psalm 34, 8. And so a couple of essential reminders just in a very practical uh, sense, these PowerPoints to summarize our study of need. Again, our theme is to remember, this is a call, to remember overcoming providential amnesia, right? And so number one, of three, these are, again, our essential reminders. So number one, we need to be reminded of our need. Number two, we need to be reminded of his provision. And number three, we need to be reminded of his promise or of his promises. And so number one, what's the need that we need to be reminded of? It's that we're sinners. And... Bible says that all have sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages, the earnings of our sin lead to death and hell. And so that's where we find ourselves. That's, that's where we were before Christ. But that leads us into our second point, which is number two, his provision. We need to remember his provision because when we come to terms with our need, that's what makes the provision so much more uh, powerful to us. Why? Because we need it, because we're in need. And so his provision, ultimately, again, it's summed up in the person of Jesus and what he gave to us. It says in John three sixteen, you guys know it well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so simply by believing in Jesus and who he is, in what he said of himself, we have life. We benefit. We're beneficiaries, again, to that work that we had no part in. God's ultimately, uh, his, his ultimate provision was Jesus, right? The gift that he gave to us. So that leads us into number three. And that is his promises, or his promise. Again, for those who put their faith in Christ, we love this because this book is full of his promises. Right? And one promise in particular, 
He said that he will be with us always and that one day we will be with him forever. And Susie is in the presence of the Lord forever. That's where she's at. She beat us there. It says, in the Psalms, precious in the eyes of the Lord of the death of his saints. Why? Because that final blockage, that final barrier, which was our sin nature and our intrinsic desire to sin is now done away with. We are finally saved from the presence of sin. There's nothing separating us from God. And so the presence of sin is now gone and we are ushered into the presence of the living God. And that's where we are forever. It's a wonderful thing. We look forward to it. I look forward to it. The promise of God that he will be with us always in that one day, his day that he so chooses for each and every one of us should the Lord tarry and we not live to, uh, to see his coming, we will be with him forever. This is our blessed assurance. And so three essential reminders. We need to be reminded of our need. We need to be reminded of his provision, which met, number one, it met our need. And number three, which is now our hope, his promises. We need to remind ourselves the promises of God. Why? Because that's what's going to see us through these dark times. So again, the title for this morning's message, it's Overcoming Providential Amnesia. It's being made or being remade aware of his providential hand, his goodness, his kindness, the tasting and the seeing that we have done, or perhaps if you're here and have yet to do. It's abstaining from this, uh, this forgetfulness that we find ourselves uh, so often falling into. But check it out in John chapter 14, verse 26. So maybe you're saying, you know, okay, we've, we've heard your PowerPoint, the, the one, two, three, the need, his provision, and his promises. Um, but that still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, if it, if it doesn't, then this is for you, and perhaps you, you're saying, well, I've heard that before, but I can't seem to remember. I, I'm finding myself falling into this place of forgetfulness, but listen to what he says in chapter 14 of John. <laughs> Verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, we get a snapshot, a, a little study in the Trinity there, the Father sending the Holy Spirit by the word of Christ. He, that is the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things, not some things. It says he will teach us all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I have said to you. So this is what he has said to us. Right there, Jesus is promising his Holy Spirit to teach us 
all things, and, and that's good news for us who are academically challenged, right? We're getting the, the tutorship of the Holy Spirit himself, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that third person of the Holy Spirit who we've been learning about in Acts. We have him personally teaching us. And not only is he teaching us, but he's reminding us what he has already taught us. Praise God. Verse I love, it's in Luke 13, 11, and it says this. Again, this is Jesus talking, and he says, And if you, who being evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give to you the Holy Spirit if you would just ask him? If you would just ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, he'll give it to you. Why? Because he's a good Father, and he's a good provider, and he knows that that is a provision that we absolutely need. It's a necessity. The Holy Spirit is ours for the asking. So ask him. I've been house-sitting my parents for the last couple of days, and just taking care of the animals. We don't live on a farm. It's just a dog and two cats. I think it's pretty easy. It is. And so I've been there. I've been by myself, you know, holding down the fort. And so I'm there with Chloe, and she's she's pretty clingy. She's following me pretty much everywhere. Um, and... And so I'm I'm down in my room, and I can't be down there for longer than 10 minutes without her scratching and and whining at the door to be let out. And so she wants, you know, and and so I proceed to let her out, and she goes out into the living room or the the entryway or the kitchen or whatever and just kind of lays down and waits there. And and so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, how, how... what, what does that say of me if I'm the only person in the house and she doesn't want to be with me? Like, really? Um, but she, the longest I ever got her to go was 10 minutes, and, and she wants to be let out. She's, she's scratching at the door. Um, and then she'll just go and wait in, you know, some other part of the house. Um, and so I was beginning to get frustrated at her, right? I'm like, Chloe, the heater's on. It's comfortable in here. I just made a fresh cup of coffee, and you're making me get up to let you out. Like, why can't you just stay, um, is my thought. And so it was beginning to frustrate me until I realized something, and that is that Chloe was waiting for my parents to get back, right? And so Chloe... In, in her small, you know, doggy mind, she remembers that every time my parents have entered in through the house, they come through that front door. They come through that, that, uh, that threshold, if you will. And so she knows where to find them when they return. And so my mom, my brother Zachary, they've been gone for like over five months now. And my dad... And Everest now have been gone for, I think, five days. 
Um, but it doesn't matter to her. It doesn't matter how long they've been gone. She remembers because she loves them. And so that's, that's the forefront of our minds. So as nice as I think my room is, and as good as the, the heater and, and coffee and, and the cozy couch sounds, it's, it's not worth it to her. She would rather be, be found waiting so that when they do return, She's ready for them. There's, there's nothing separating her from uh, the master, you see. So I think there's a lesson to be learned in that I feel like we reference Chloe a lot up here, but um, I think the Lord's, Lord's taught us a lot. It's what I learned this last week, and if you guys will turn in your Bibles one last time to the book of Luke, chapter 22, this is where we'll close. Everyone's at Luke chapter 22, verse 19. It says this, And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this often in remembrance of me. And then in 20, it says, Likewise, he took also the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. Keep in mind, this was no plan B. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this often in remembrance of me. Why? Because we are so prone to forget. We are prone to forget our spiritual need for spiritual food, for spiritual drink. And so do this, he says, in remembrance of me. And so every time we do it, we remember what he has done. We we become reacquainted with our need all the time. I'm, I'm always being made aware of my need. And from there, we, we are ushered into that second point. Again, it was his provision, ultimately, in, in gifting us with his son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. It's as simple as believing and receiving, receive the Holy Spirit, ask for it, take him up on that and see what he'll do in your life. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so as believers, as followers of Christ, those who have put our faith in him and trust what he has said in this book concerning himself, concerning us and our relationship to him, as believers looking back, on the provision, we can now look forward with confidence to the promise. This takes us from point number two to point number three. We look back in our need to his provision, which then shifts our gaze, our confidence, 
gaze onto the promises of God, that he's coming back for us, and that should we die before he returns, we will be with him forever. And so you guys um, should have communion cups. And now partake of that together. If there's anyone that doesn't have one, Brett would be happy to to serve you. I was going to say this would have been the first time. Um, so why don't we do that together? We'll start. But Brad, if you guys want to break that first seal, then we pray. Father, we thank you for this cup, what it represents, God, your bread, your body broken for us, your physical body broken in those 33 plus years that you lived on this earth, God, you, you went through it all for us, God, you were tested and humbled so that we might receive grace and mercy in our time of need after entering in boldly before your throne. We have a mediator now, God, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your body broken for us. God, we remember you. We remember what you did for us, and we thank you. You guys can take bread. And Lord, for this juice, which represents your blood, God, we thank you so much for the blood that you shed on that cross. Your word declares that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. God, and not only did your blood take away our sin, it's, it's gone. It's, it's not simply covered, um, but we're clean. And we're made white as snow. And you've made it so easy. We just have to believe you. God, and we receive your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for this cup. We thank you for dying for us. I pray that you would instill within each and every one of us, God, this morning, just a renewed sense of remembrance that we would be those who, who remember, God. So we take this now in honor of you. You guys can take the cup. <clears throat> 